subscribe to Tripod Talk Radio for conversations with veterinarians, oncologists, rehab therapists, and other experts discussing amputation for dogs and cats. Find more info, helpful care tips, and a free gift at tripods.com slash radio. Thank you for tuning in to Tripod Talk Radio, where we're spreading the word that it's better to hop on three legs than limp on four. Hosted by Jim and Renee and Wyatt Ray of the Tripod's blogs community at tripods.com, Jerry's place for canine amputees and their people. Oh, that's silly, Jerry. Hello, and thank you for listening. Today is Friday, November 11th, 2016, and this is Tripod Talk Radio. We are honored to welcome back Dr. Cindy Courtney to the show, who first joined us back in 2014. Dr. Courtney is a small animal veterinarian practicing near Kansas City who publishes the popular veterinary lifestyle blog, VetChangesWorld.com. Dr. Courtney writes about much more than your typical clinical reports and case studies. Vet Changes World attempts to do just that, change the world. She consistently strives to make a difference for her clients, their animals, the veterinary community, and the world. Today, we're going to discuss how you can make a difference for your tripod by learning to communicate better with your vet. So, let's get started. Thank you for joining us again, Dr. Courtney. Glad to be here. Hey, Dr. Courtney, it's Renee. Thank you so much for doing this show. We, um, we love having you as our guest, so we, we appreciate your time today. I love talking to you guys, and I love all the fantastic work you do educating people on what happy lives our pets can have with three legs. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Well, um, today's information that you're going to share with us is um, definitely applicable to uh, four-leggers, too. So um, it's not just tripod-specific, um, but uh, let's get started. Um, I have some uh, some questions that we had uh, discussed, and the first one is um, we, as as pet parents, we don't really – we don't, we're not in your shoes. We're not veterinarians. We have no idea what you do all day long other than play with animals, right? That's what we tend to think happens. <laughs> and I know you do some really important work. So um, can you tell us what a, a veterinarian's typical day is like? Like how many things do you do all day long? Yeah, and, and when I first read this question, I sat back and kind of well and just thinking about it because we love our work and it's never, ever boring, but some days it does feel like we get on a treadmill and it gets faster and faster and faster all day as these crazy and exciting things go by. So I see about 16 to 20 scheduled appointments during my 10-hour workday, and those will be a mix of regular annual exams and sick patients. On top of that, I'm, I'm squeezing in between my other appointments, pets who have come in for grooming or who are at our hospital for boarding who may need annual care or who may be sick. And so it's a very packed day, and we're also trying to make phone calls, report back on lab work, follow up with pets we've seen in previous weeks and days, 
and get paperwork done, including sending home discharge instructions to pet owners and giving report cards on their physical exams. On top of that, there's a little bit of a roll of the dice that you know what's going to happen in terms of emergencies calling in, in terms of pets that might need a couple hours for x-rays or sedation, or pets that we thought were healthy that they come in for their physical exam, they've been losing weight for six months, and now they're a very sick pet that needs a longer appointment time. So we always know the unexpected is going to happen, but we don't know on any given day how much of the unexpected is going to happen. So, so yeah, it's definitely never boring, um, but some days are definitely a little bit more stressful than others. Wow. So <laughs> that, I mean, that is a crazy day. And so pretty much every day is like that. And to be fair, there are some days that are going to be crazier than others. A lot of vet hospitals have slow seasons and fast seasons. So summer tends to be hmm. a lot busier for most practices than late January, February. That's part of the reason you'll see dental discount month in February is that helps bring more pet owners into practices in February. Um, but yeah, hmm. for most days, you kind of don't know exactly what's going to be walking in the door. It can be a pretty, pretty crazy day. And Every vet hospital tries to figure out how much buffer room do you leave? Do you leave a lot of buffer room and then your staff is maybe sitting around not doing anything and mm -hmm. then that drives up cost of care for pet parents? Or do you leave a little less buffer room that keeps cost of care down for people, but maybe then some days you have longer wait times and people are a little bit more frustrated. So it's a hard balance. Every vet clinic tries, tries their best to, to find the right mix. And, and what days of the week tend to be busier than others? Yeah. So for sure, I think Mondays tend to be one of the busiest because pets have, people have been home with their pets or maybe noticing things they haven't seen before. And so they're calling uh -huh. us up Monday morning, letting us know, hey, I think my pet's really sick. So there are maybe some more emergencies on those days. Fridays also, people are calling us right at the end of the day. They got home from work, realized there was something wrong. They want to get in before the weekend comes um, and uh -huh. where they might otherwise have to go to emergency hospital. So uh, the very evenings and kind of the beginning and end of the week definitely tend to be busier. So that also means that those times that are sometimes more convenient for pet owners may mean their uh -huh. vet is a little bit more stressed at those times or a little more <laughs> So where people can get out of work or can go during a slower time of the week, they may get more of their veterinarian's time and attention. You know, the, the similarities between human and veterinary medicine never cease to amaze me because, I mean, what you're describing to me sounds like a typical human medical practice. Um, I know that when I've called my doctor on a Monday morning, it's like impossible to get through on the phone. So, um yeah. I'll tell uh, the audience, the reason why we're discussing this is because um, there has been more than one occasion when uh, a community member at Tripods has mentioned that their veterinarian seemed really short with them, that they just didn't mm. get the attention that they felt they wanted, that, you know, and they, mm. they kind of, I think a lot of people mistake that for a lack of bedside manner, but maybe that mm. is the case. But then again, maybe they did get crammed in on a Monday morning. Um, because they had an emergency. So um, what I would like to do with this um, show is to help help everyone just be better prepared for the appointment 
so that they get what they feel they needed out of it. Um, my next question is, um, are there ways that pet parents can better prepare for their appointment before they show up, whether it's on a Monday or a Wednesday in the middle of the afternoon? Yeah, absolutely. So one of my favorite things is when pet parents walk in with written materials. So when they have their list of their questions and concerns, when they have kind of a story described to me when they first noticed something was going wrong until, you know, they're walking into my appointment. Sometimes I can get through that, uh, those pieces of paper a little bit faster than we can talk about things. And then I can get down to my additional questions. So that can save us a little bit of time. There are also some things that are really hard for us to see in the exam room. So pets tend to have their adrenaline up. And so they don't limp as badly when they're in our Mm -hmm. exam room. Often pets won't sneeze or cough as much when they're in the exam room, and there are certain unusual behaviors that pets won't do in the exam room. So I love when pet owners have snapped a video of that for me on their smartphone. Um, There are also things that often people forget. So probably the number one question that pet owners cannot answer for me is what kind of food their pet is on. And so many pets who are overweight where we have to determine, hey, what, what amount of food should they really be on? I can look up the calorie amount pretty easily if I know the name of the food, but it's hard for people to remember. So, again, snapping a picture of that with their smartphone and bringing them with them can be really helpful. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes people can even email those lists or some of those pictures to us in advance. Uh, So we even have them before they come in so we can review it. It's also important to when they schedule the appointment to let the receptionist know, especially if the pet is not 100% normal, we see a lot of people coming in for vaccines for their pets that haven't let the receptionist know that the pet is abnormal in some way, that they're not doing 100%. And so we scheduled a short visit for that annual exam. And now we don't have time set in there for us to discuss illness or to do a more thorough musculoskeletal exam or a more thorough neurologic exam on that pet. And so that can kind of crunch that appointment down to a shorter time. So making sure you tell your vet what's going on before you even walk in so they can set the appropriate amount of time aside for you. Yeah, I wow. I can. I never thought about it like that. Like, you know, I always thought an appointment was an appointment, really. So um, it's, yeah. it's really great to know that you want to disclose as much information. I know that when I call a front desk at a vet clinic, I always feel like I'm talking too much. Like, like I, you know, maybe I'm giving them more information than they need. But so what you're saying is, is more information about the pet is better before we show up. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Because I think it's a bad surprise for all of us if we think it's going to be a straightforward annual visit and you have three or four major questions you need to address and we only have 30 minutes to talk about all of that. I think we're all going to leave that appointment feeling satisfied. <laughs> uh huh. Um, so, you know, we—I know you've seen this, you know, and you've had to end your your thirty-minute appointments when that maybe it should have gone longer. So, um, why do you think that that pet parents might feel that they didn't get the information and advice they'd hoped for, even even within that thirty minutes? I mean, what goes through your head when you have to end the appointment? Because you're on a schedule, I mean, and, and I, I think we tend to forget that. We want all this attention from our vet, but um, it's kind of this, this awkward little dance. So, so how, how do you deal yeah. with that? Yeah. And I'll be honest, 
when that when I know those those minutes are rolling down, I feel guilty as a vet because I know two things. I know I want to give the client who's sitting in front of me as much time as attention as I possibly can, but I also know that next on that schedule is a pet who's really sick or even a euthanasia on my schedule, mm-hmm. and I know that I can't let those other pet parents down either. And so, you know, I definitely feel like I'm, I'm being pulled in so many directions and I want to give all of myself to everybody, but I just can't. And so, um, and, and I've been in that same position as when I, when I heard that question, I thought about times I've been at my human doctor's office and thought, well, I'm a Uh doctor. Like I should be able to stand up for my information I need and, and get all my questions answered. And I've definitely you know, found myself with the doctor walking out the door and thinking, hey, wait a minute, I still had questions. <laughs> so, so it's definitely hard for us, too. And, and when those time pressures are there, um, sometimes it can be tricky to, to kind of get everything to stop. So, so as a patient myself, I try and be a proactive and persistent. If there's something that I didn't get answered, I contact my own doctor and make sure that um, I get that question answered. And that's, I, I want my clients to do that as well. Your vet wants you to be happy. They want you to be satisfied. They want your questions to be answered. And so uh, please, I tell my friends, uh, contact your vet. If you feel like you're not getting the information you want, feel free to contact them. Because of the experiences I've had, I do try and make an intentional effort. If I know that 30 minutes is coming to a close, I try. And we know there are discussions we haven't been able to finish. I try and say, you know, clearly we need to talk about this quite a bit more, but we're coming close to the end of our time. Can I contact you either later tonight or um, on a different day so that we can finish up this conversation by phone? So hopefully that gives us a chance to continue talking and give them the information they want, even if we don't have the time. Also, I know how the pressure of the appointment sometimes um, makes the questions flee from your mind. So I always try and end the appointment with what other questions do you have? and a long pause to try and give pet owners the opportunity to ask questions. I also tell them that I'm the type of person who always thinks of my questions in the car on the way home. So I proactively give them my contact information so that they can reach me. So that's what I try and do as a vet, but a pet owner can also ask the vet and say, hey, I read an appointment, but I might have some additional questions. What might be the best way for me to reach you with those additional questions? And to not feel guilty. I mean, we love pet owners who advocate for their pets. I'd much rather work with a pet owner who cares and loves their pet than someone who walks in and says, hey, it's just a dog. If it gets sick, I'm going to put it to sleep. I mean, we, we... you want, don't feel bad about advocating for your pet. You're, you're the kind of client that, that that veterinarian wants walking in their door. So, so don't be afraid to, to reach back out and get those questions answered. That is really good to know because I know a lot of us at Tripods, we, we just, you know, we feel like we're taking way too much time. Um, I know, and we feel guilty too. You know, I mean, a lot of people, we, we totally get it. And um, I, I see people in our discussion forums all the time who are asking us questions that they should have asked their vet. And, and we tell mm-hmm. them, you know, these, you need to ask, ask your vet. So I think it's awesome yeah. that you are, are really proactive in, in giving your contact information out because I know there are some vets out there who, who don't. So um, I really, really appreciate that. Now let's get more specific as far as 
Mm-hmm. What are some general questions that we should ask in, in order to have a good conversation with our vets? Um, let's let's talk about that, and then tell me uh, about why how we ask the questions is just as important as what we ask. Yeah, and many different kinds of conversations that we have together that I think asking, pointing out specific questions can be kind of tricky. And I do definitely agree that it's often how we start those conversations and how we ask those questions that's so important. Um, As a veterinarian, sometimes conversations are started not with a question, but with and with a demand or with an accusation almost. Um, I think every vet I know has had somebody walk into the exam room and say, um, my neighbor told me or my breeder told me and present a fact that they heard. And sometimes they've even taken mm-hmm. action. So I have personally have had a pet owner change their dog's insulin dose on the recommendation of a neighbor mm-hmm. and drive their pet into a low blood sugar crisis. Um, I have had a puppy die because a breeder recommended that they not vaccinate that puppy and it got parvovirus and passed away. Um, oh my gosh. So we as vets tend to be a little bit, I will completely admit, <laughs> we tend to be a little sensitive about that. And so it's great when pet owners can approach us and, and recognize, you know, we're in the best partnership when we're a team. And when the vet can be your medical advisor, your medical expert, and the pet owner is the expert on the individual pet and what makes them unique and your personal family situation and you know your pet's foibles and, and the little changes that happen in their life. So, so treat your, your vet as your medical advisor and so ask them for medical advice. Ask it as a question and say, hey, you know, I heard this. What do you think about that? Or what additional information can you give me about that? And your vet can help you put that into context. You know, they did go to school for eight years between college and their medical degree and paid a lot of money and spend 50 to 60 hours a week, you know, treating sick pets. So um, I, I, they want you to call if you have a different treatment you're thinking about using. Um, I encourage my clients to call our clinic and to leave me a message before they try something new. So I can say, yes, that's safer. No, it's not. Um, Just in the past two weeks, I had a pet owner, their pet had fleas and they were considering using Benadryl on their pet. And while for a lot of pets that would be safe, this particular pet had a heart condition and it might not have been safe for their pet. So we were really glad that they hadn't just gone ahead and given it um, because it might have really cost that pet their life. So, so always just feel free to get on the phone and say, hey, this is what I'm thinking about doing. Might it be really dangerous for my pet? And, and a good veterinarian should get back to you and, and let you know. You know, I think with, with Dr. Google out there, I think um, yeah. a lot of people just feel like, um, well, hey, the information is right there. I'm going to try it, um, and I don't want to bother my vet with this. It's so little. But that one example about Benadryl is is perfect. I mean, Benadryl is all over the place on the Internet. Oh, yeah, yeah. give it to your dog. Yeah. It's, it's safe. Um, I had no idea yeah. that dogs with heart conditions couldn't take it. Yeah, because it, it can affect blood pressure. Um, so. Wow, it, it's definitely one of those that it's good to check. And I love, mm-hmm. I do love when my pet owners are looking things up. Like I also had a pet owner who put her cat on Advil because she thought its tail was hurting. And if she had done a preliminary Google search, she might have actually found out that that Advil is toxic. For oh. that. So, so 
So it's not bad to use those tools, but just double check that with your vet and say, you know, hey, this is what I heard. Is that right? Or give me a little context for that. And we we can help you put, put the pieces together and see if it makes sense for your individual pet. Double check. I like that. You know, yeah. we we um, <laughs> we start a lot of conversations at tripods with. We are not vet. <laughs> your vet. Yeah. Your vet can best answer this. Here's our experience. But um, yeah. But yeah. I mean, like you said, the the internet's a double-edged sword and has a lot of great information out there. But yeah, every animal is unique, and I think people tend to forget that. Every dog is yeah. different, even if it's a German Shepherd and a German Shepherd. They're both, you know, very yeah. different dogs. Um, so, so let's say that that we have been working with our vet on a certain condition. Um, we see this a lot at tripods. I saw it with my own dog, Jerry, when um, his veterinarian um, kept um, calling his his limp a persistent limp arthritis, and he. You know, there was just something more going on. I knew, but I didn't know. I knew, but I didn't know. I could kind of sense. Right. So my gut instinct was saying, I don't, right. you know, I think there's something bigger here. Um, yeah. How can we ask for a second opinion without feeling like we're insulting our vet? Because I know a lot of people hesitate to do that. So um, what is the best way to, to approach that subject? Yeah. Um, and uh, and I'll be the first to say, you know, so I, with my own pets, have needed to use specialists, and I have gotten second opinions when I had that gut feeling that I'm like, I'm just not sure we're headed in the right direction. I want to get a second opinion on my own pets. So, um, so first of all, know that, uh, I mean, to be honest, as a vet, whenever I find someone's gotten a second opinion and I, did, I didn't know about it initially, they're, they're, it's a very mm-hmm. human thing to feel that small feeling of like, oh, well, that's sad. We, you know, we weren't headed in the right direction or they felt they needed something else. But that is never worth the safety of your pet. Um, and a good veterinarian recognizes that the ultimate priority is the safety and the health of your pet. And if, if what we need to do to make sure your pet ends up being okay is for them to see, then that is the right thing to do. And and most of the time that I've ever had a patient get a second opinion, um, it has actually strengthened the relationship that I had with that pet owner and that pet. Because frankly, I'm a good veterinarian and I keep meticulous records. And so when I'm able to send a pet and get a second opinion, often that's confirmed the direction that we've been heading. And then the pet owner has even more confidence in what we're doing. So as being something that's potentially a really, a really good thing um, that we can make sure that we're headed in the right direction, we can get the pet the right. So um, what there are right and wrong ways to do it. I definitely see some pet owners kind of spout off a lot of insults at their veterinarian on an online forum and then just pick up and go to another vet without even taking their records with them, which leaves the new vet without much context Mm, and maybe even a misunderstanding about what's going on with the pet. So very important to get the full written doctor's notes on your pet. Sometimes if you ask for the medical record, they just give you vaccines or they just give you invoices. So you want to ask for the full written doctor's notes. Um, You are in almost all states required the, the vet hospital is required to give those. They may uh, be able to charge you a small time it takes to copy that. Um, 
but they are required to give those to you or to give that to the hospital of your choice. And that gives your new vet all the context for what's been going on before, so they're less likely to have to re cost you more money. And that just makes sure that they can give you a better idea of, okay, well, why was what was done before, why was it done that way? Um, so, so that's kind of the right way to do it. And I think you also want to figure out a person to get a second opinion from, and that depends on what kind of second opinion you're looking for. So if you're at your own clinic and you maybe saw a doctor you're not used to seeing and there's another vet you normally see and you just have a good relationship with them, um, it's perfectly appropriate to say, hey, I just want the doctor I usually work with and who I have a, a who I trust and have a strong relationship with that's totally okay um, if you want to get a completely new fresh set of eyes or if you're not feeling comfortable with the clinic you're working at you may want to go to a different clinic but still be working with a general practice veterinarian if you need your pet needs more advanced care so if your pet has something going on maybe with a limp or arthritis and we think maybe we need better imaging, we need better x-rays, um, or maybe we want an orthopedic specialist while they're walking, a referring to a specialist, getting a second opinion from a specialist might be the right way to go. Um, and you can either search for that yourself or you can get, if you do like your veterinarian and you feel, still feel comfortable with that uh, relationship, you can get a direct recommendation from your veterinarian. You, you, you brought up so many things that I, I wish I had known back when, when Jerry was with us. Like, um, I didn't know about the difference between a medical record and a written record. That was so important that you mentioned that. Thank you. I had no idea. And we did, you know, we did just pick up and go somewhere else because we didn't know what we didn't know. Um, yeah. And as far as, um, you know, working with another vet at the same practice, I, something I've, I've been curious about, do do vets multiple vets at one practice do you folks like do you have meetings about your clients do you have time to do that i mean do you do you all discuss the cases you've been seeing or is there just no practical way to do that so i find that most practices do i find that most practices especially if we have cases that are confusing or difficult or don't quite make sense most veterinarians will reach out to their peers and will even reach out to resources like the Veterinary Information Network or VIN, which is an online um, resource, to try and get information, see if there have been similar cases that other veterinarians have seen. If I'm going to post about a case, so if I have a confusing case myself and I'm going to ask other vets about it, I usually ask the pet owner's permission to do that, to get the input of other vets. But, but most vets will try and reach out if a case is confusing and get the, the help of their peers. Um, not in the sense, generally we don't talk about, I guess the question is, do we sit around and gossip about pet owners? Um, <laughs> I didn't really mean it like is, that. I, I was just wondering if you guys right. elaborate on difficult cases, but I think, you know, I think yes. a lot of people might wonder that though. I, I do. Like I would be afraid to mm -hmm. ask for another vet at the same practice because, oh my God, they're going to think I, you know, I don't, you know, believe what they're saying. Right. Um, so what I would say is that we do know if there are certain pet owners who have certain preferences. So um, sometimes we will say, you know, if a pet owner, if we know that they will tend to have a lot of questions, sometimes I will try and 
usually set time for an appointment with that client. Um, but mm. I, generally, in my experience, it's taken more from a perspective of this is this person's preferences and this is how to communicate with this person in the way they want to be communicated with. Um, I tend to be a very verbose, uh, long-winded person. And so sometimes <laughs> clients who want people to get straight to the point, get in the door, out the door, on with their day, I might not be the best uh, veterinarian for that person, but one of my other colleagues might. And so sometimes sharing that information does help us match the right pet owner with the right veterinarian to give them the best care, if that makes sense. It, it does. It does. And, you know, what's been going through my mind is, I'm thinking that you as a vet, you put so much thought into your clients' personalities and and emotional needs even. And I think we as pet parents, we need to do more of that for our vets because we tend to, like like any kind of medical professional, you guys know so much and we 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 think we we forget that you're human, you know? We think you guys are like these you know, non-human geniuses of some sort. So I think we as pet parents need to be um, a lot more appreciative that our, our vets are people too. They're awesome people. So um, so thank you so thank much, you. Dr. Courtney. I really, really appreciate you being here again. Thank you. It's always great talking with you, Renee, and, and I'm glad to, to help parents out in any way that I can and I appreciate that empathy on our side too that we certainly understand a lot of times when people are in our offices they're they're in a tough spot and they're a little stressed so so we try and give people the benefit of the doubt no thank you so much for your time Dr. Corney you certainly have helped listeners can learn more about your work at vetchangesworld.com and listen to our previous discussion and all tripod talk radio podcasts at downloads.tripods.com until next time, find the best recovery tips for three-legged dogs and cats in the blogs, discussion forums, and many helpful resources at tripods.com. Thank you for tuning in. Subscribe to Tripod Talk Radio for more pet amputation tips from experts. And claim your free gift just for listeners at downloads.tripods.com podcast.